Well, thank you for having me back at uh, Renaissance. I, uh, I know you didn't invite me. The other guys did, so I, I understand. But I wanted to say thank you anyway, because you may be the ones who say don't invite him back again after today. Because I want to talk about <clears throat> money. Did you? Money. So you may want to talk to the guys and say, <laughs> we've had enough of that. We don't need any more of that. We're doing everything we need to do. So he needs to move on to someplace else. Well, I am someplace else. I, I preach normally at a, as an interim at a church up in Morristown. And so uh, they want their, their uh, associate to preach once a month. And I said, that's great. And they said, you don't have to be here. And I said, that's even greater because I can go to Renaissance, be a part of the Renaissance family, and even come to the uh, football extravaganza. Everybody come to the football extravaganza? I'm here for the Yankees. Everybody here for the Yankees? Dave, I'm with you. Wherever you are, Dave, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, I want to talk about money, and I want to talk about money not because I'm on the inside and know everything about uh, Renaissance, and, and I, I know that you have special needs for money. You do, you do, but, but I know you do, not because somebody told me, but I, I know you do because churches do. It's just the way life is. Volunteer organizations need support even though there's volunteers filling the ranks. I, it's just the way it is, and I've been in church life for, I don't know, close to 40 years now, so I know what it's like to be in church life and leadership, and I know that churches, like every other organization of its kind, nonprofit in particular, needs money. So I'm talking about money not because you need it, because I'm talking about it rather because I don't know how to talk about walking with Jesus if I don't get around to the subject of money. And somebody else may be here uh, to do that, and I, I don't know what everything has been said by each of the preachers who are here, so maybe somebody's talked about it before, but I don't think they have in quite a few years. I'm here because it seems to me that if I'm going to walk with Jesus, which is what I assume you're at least investigating, or you've already arrived there and you've decided to walk with Jesus, you just can't get away from the subject of money. Jesus didn't get away from it. In fact, he uh, talked about it, from what I'm told, more than any other one subject in all that he talked about, he included money. And the funny thing is, and we don't usually say this, but let me let you in on a secret. He talked about money to the people who were giving money. Because giving money can be dangerous to your relationship with God. That sounds kind of strange. Wait a minute, I thought, I thought giving money was good for my relationship with God. Well, it, it, it may be, and I want to talk about that. But the truth is that Jesus wanted to talk to people who were giving money because it was hurting them. Let me translate that to the 21st century. Sometimes we've given the idea that you can give money, and in giving money, you can form a relationship with God. You can kind of buy your way into heaven, you know what I mean? And even if you didn't believe that in the beginning, even if you believed that you were saved by grace, as the Bible says, we somehow get the idea that if we do certain things, that'll keep us there. So we can maintain our relationship with God by giving money. Can't do it. <laughs> Sorry, if that's where you are, you just can't do that. Either, either pardon from God is a gift or it's something I buy. And, and in fact, if, if pardon from God is something that I buy, I can't accumulate enough money to buy it. It's just too expensive. In fact, pardon from God costs him his son's life. The blood of Jesus was shed for my pardon. I, I can't accumulate enough money to to equal that amount. So that's one of the disservices we've done in terms of money, or it's been misunderstood that way, that I can buy my way into heaven. Can't do that. Likewise, Jesus talked to the people in the first century about giving money as being detrimental to their health because they, 
they, they became extremely proud with what they gave. They were given this and this. And at one point, I remember Jesus in the gospel saying, you give your tenth of, uh, of your dill and your common, you know, the, the uh, herbs that you use in your cooking. They were giving a tenth of that, and they were so proud of that. And they held it up, and they wanted their plaque on everything that they bought, and they wanted their, their notary. Nah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Kills your relationship with God. Pride slams the door on a relationship with God. Just doesn't work. So please don't hear me say anything like that. Finally, the problem with talking about money in terms of getting something is that we've given the idea that somehow if I give, then I get. And you know, you've seen one or two of these people on television. They're called health and wealth prosperity preachers. And they say, well, if you'll, you'll send me your money, then I'll send you a prayer hanky and God will double your money. It just doesn't happen. It's not the way Jesus was talking. They quote verses, but they take those verses out of in an isolated manner and out of context. That's not the, not the idea that Jesus had in mind. So that's, that's not what I'm saying. It's, the whole thing about money, it, it can really get between you and God. So don't, don't let what I'm saying today give you the idea that, that, that in some sense money will do any of those things. But I still want to talk about money. <laughs> I really want to. And I... I Forgive me, but I really want to narrow it down even more than that. I want to talk not just about money, but I want to talk about tithing. I want to talk about taking 10% of what God allows me to earn and giving that back to God's work wherever I decide to give that, most primarily, as far as I'm concerned, to my local church and then on to other organizations that will do the work of God, expand the kingdom of God, treat, treat people as human with dignity and take care of them and share the good news of Jesus with them. That's what I'm talking about today the whole subject of tithing. Um, now you, you may be reacting in your own heart, and you're not saying this out loud, but you're saying in your own heart, you've you got to be joking, 10%. You gotta, you, you're really kidding, aren't you? No, I'm not kidding. I, I'm, I'm really not kidding. You're saying, if you, if you could see what I put in the plate, and I, I have no idea what you put in the plate. I've never known what people in my churches have put in the plate. I don't want to know because I would treat them special as opposed to the people who don't put much in. I know what's in my heart, so I don't want to know. But, but if I could see what's in your plate, you're saying, you put in the plate, you'd move it to 2%. Move me up to 2%, Peter. No, no, I don't want to move you up to 2%. I want to move you up to what the Bible talks about, and that is 10% tithing. I hear you. It sounds impossible. It sounds like uh, with all the demands that are on your life and, and the, the hands that are in your pocket and your wallet, it sounds like you can't possibly be there. Let me just say something to you. You can do this with, with wise decisions and, and some self-sacrifice, granted, and obedience to God and, and the power and strength of God. You can do this. I know you can do this. We've done this for years since we first got married. And I say that not to boast because we probably could have given a lot more with the kind of income we've had. So, but, but we started out with this conviction that we can do this if we trust God and he will allow us to do that and he will show us how to do it. So, so I apologize for all the misunderstandings that have taken place in pulpits around the world uh, in terms of the subject of money, but I still want to come back to the subject of money. And, and talk about money. And I'd like to try to answer just one question, and you can, I'm going to have four reasons, but the, the question I'd like to answer is, so why should I tithe? Why should I give 10% of what I'm, 10%, let me just tell you something. 
I had a couple that we were working with in preparation for marriage, and, and we were talking about money and about giving to their church or to the ministries that they were most fond of, and, and I said, are, are you committed to tithe? And they said, yes, we are. And I said, well, what are you doing now? And she said, well, I figured it out the other day. We're give, we're, our tithe is 2%. I said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Tithe means 10%, okay? And as far as I'm concerned, the Bible presents 10% as being the base amount, and then he asks us to grow from there. I've known people, a famous person, Rick Warren, pastor out at Saddleback Church. Rick and Kay Warren committed themselves to become reverse tithers. Yeah, that means they give 90% and they keep 10%. So let me tell you, when I talk about 10%, I'm just talking about a bare minimum, and then we grow from there and we go on from there. So why should I tithe? First, first answer I give you as, as personal as I can possibly put it, and it is simply because I need to tithe. I, I need it. I need to give that money away, put it in the hands of other people I trust so that they will distribute it and use it for the glory of God and for the good of people. I, I need it. And, and if I'm right about this, then I would say you need it. In fact, I would say we need to, to tithe. I say, wait a minute, I got so many other hands in my pocket. I can't do that. Those other, those other things I'm committed to, they're the very things that keep me from tithing. No, no, they're not. Some of those are the ones that we have to say no to. You're not as important as this is. And make our decision concerning that. And believe me, I'm not putting you all in the same boat. I, I, I have met people at Renaissance in the short time I've been preaching here from time to time. Uh, one woman who talked to me is living on Social Security, and I know I'm on Social Security. It ain't a lot of money. It really is not, so I, I get that. Uh, another woman who talked to me after service one day is, uh, has just lost her job, and she doesn't have the faintest hope of getting another job, and she didn't know what she was going to do. Okay? Now, I suspect, though I don't know everybody here, that there's some single moms here. You are struggling, or single dads who are taking care of kids, and you're struggling with the money thing. I get that. I, I know that there are people here who have lost what they put in for retirement and they have a very uncertain future in terms of what they're going to do in the future. I, I know that. I know, I know somebody here like that. I know people who are in between jobs. I know people who have college debt. I know. So, so believe me, I know there's some, some good earners here. I, I get that. I understand that. But that's not true with everybody at Renaissance, though that may be the reputation. There's a lot of people struggling because they're going from paycheck to paycheck at Renaissance Church in Summit, New Jersey. So I know that. So I'm not trying to put you all in the same box. I'm just saying, uh, you got to do it. In fact, if I were to introduce everybody here and give the life story of everyone, or we were to give our own life story, it's like me in the midst of my ministry. I have found that I have met people who are much worse off than I am, even at my worst times. And I've come away from those experiences saying, oh God, I've got it pretty easy. I really have a lot, even though I may sometimes feel sorry for myself. So I again come back to this question, why do I need to tithe? Let's go there for a minute. 21st century, I need some voluntary self-restraint. I mean, I, I need to say no to Peter from time to time. In fact, I need a way to say no to Peter 
a lot of the time. Because everything in my world tells me, hey, you've worked hard, Peter. You've given your time. You've earned money. You've got a retirement fund. You, you've got all kinds of things. Live it out. Live with gusto. Don't hold back on anything except where your normal restraints are. You, you've earned it. Everything in the media, everything in advertising tells me that I should be living for Peter. In fact, if I don't live for anybody but Peter and that close circle of people around me, my family in particular, then I am out of step with most of what goes on in the 21st century. Isn't that true? And, and if I'm out of step with what goes on in the 21st century, that means I'm in step with a living God. And that's what I need to be. I need some voluntary self-restraint. I, I, I need, to, need to say no to me. Your kids need to learn to say no to themselves. You need to set the example so that your kids will get the idea. I, I can't live for me. I need some voluntary self-restraint. There's another funny, funny thing that happens when I give. My heart follows my money. I was, I was singing in the back there. I sit way in the back so nobody can see me. They can't hear me. I'm not a, I don't have a good voice, you know, but, but I love to sing. I love to worship. I love, I love God, and I love to, love to declare his truth with the songs we were singing this morning. They were wonderful songs. But, but I was finding as I sang them out, my heart was taken to where my voice was going. You know what I mean? Sometimes just doing something will, will help my heart to move to that position, and that's exactly what happens when I write a check. My, my heart goes to where my money is. Listen, you buy, you buy stock in Apple. You're going to check from time to time to find out how Apple's doing, aren't you? Why? Well, because you put your money there. Your heart went there. If, if you invest your money in the kingdom of God and his work, then your heart is going to be drawn towards where you put your money. It's just the way it works. It works in everything that way. That, that's, that's what happens. And so what I need is for my, my heart to be tugged along to those places where God is making a difference. And guess what? I may even pray for them, of all things. Why? Well, because my heart's there. And why is my heart there? Well, my heart's there because my money's there. Just the way it works. Just the way it works. Finally, I need to have the satisfaction and fulfillment of being God's partner in ministry. And I'm not talking about public credit. I, I, I don't want anybody to know what to give, although I told you something about what to give. Forgive me for that. I didn't do it so you'd know me. But just for an example, I, I don't need public credit. But what I need when I put my head down on the, on the pillow at night is I need to know that I was involved in something that God was doing. And, and what God was doing was he was transforming people's lives. And it might be for an addict. It might be for a, a person who has not yet come to know Christ. It might be somebody who needs a, a, a bowl of soup at night before they go to bed. It might be somebody who needs housing. It, it might be, it's all kinds of things. That's the beauty of it. But I can, I can link arms with God and I can partner with God if indeed I've been giving in this consistent pattern of what he has given to me. I, I need that. It is deeply satisfying to look at what we gave when I make out our tax reports. It, it's deeply satisfying to look and say, oh, Jesus, I was a part of that. Yeah, I was a part of that. I said last night, and this is, I can say it again this morning, that uh, I became a Christian in Japan when I was in the Air Force, and I heard about the gospel because uh, a friend took me to a serviceman center in Yokosuka. And when I got to the servicemen center in Yokosuka, Francis Cosgrove was there, and he was leading the servicemen center, and we were all gathered there. We, we were lonely. We didn't know what was going on, but we didn't want to go to the bars anymore, so we went to the servicemen center for the weekend, and Francis Cosgrove was there, and he, has, he and his wife, and, and they were sent there by the navigators. 
But the real people who sent them to Japan so that I could hear the good news was the folks back there who were tithing and giving their money. Yeah. The link is clear in my mind. If, if, uh, if I hadn't seen Francis Cosgrove over in Yokosuka, Japan on the Tokyo Bay, uh, because Francis Cosgrove wasn't there, then I don't know how I would have heard the gospel. Now, my theology tells me that I would have heard it somehow, so that's fine, okay? But just looking at the human link here, and, and Francis Cosgrove wouldn't have been there with his wife if those folks back in the States, whose names I will never know, hadn't been faithful in supporting Francis Cosgrove and his wife. Yeah, see? They had the satisfaction of knowing that somebody over there in Japan was becoming a Christian because they had given to send Francis and his wife over to Japan. And they'll never know my name. Maybe I'll meet them in heaven. I don't know. But they'll probably never know my, my name. But that doesn't matter because they go to bed at night with the satisfaction. We were a part of that. And I want to be a part of that. I had, uh, back in August, I think I quoted Teddy Roosevelt in his famous speech about getting some skin in the game. Here's my, my paraphrase of what Fred, uh, Teddy Roosevelt would say. The blessing goes not to the people with no skin in the game. The blessing goes to those who have entered the contest, fought the battle, and emerged with a victor's crown. Let me add it. My money puts skin in the game. Yeah. I need to tithe. I need it. If I need it, then you need it, then we need it. First reason. Let me give you a second reason. I've already referred to it, but it's a clear enough fact that people need my tithe. People need my tithe. People, all kinds of people, all kinds of needs. All you have to do is go back to December when you received all those letters in your inbox. You know the ones I mean? From the nonprofits. Yeah. Renaissance included. Or maybe you receive them in hard copy and they're on your desk and you're trying to decide which ones do I help, which ones do I don't, not help. And, and, and they're piling up, aren't they? Yeah. Well, those are nonprofits who have come to the end of the year and they've got a gap between their income and their budget and they know that there's folks out there at the end of the year who are, who are especially interested in giving. So the letters pile up and they come in the inbox and they come in hard copy. And they represent all kinds of people. They represent kids in the inner city who don't have enough to eat for breakfast. They represent people who are not yet Christians and need somebody to go and share the good news with them in uh, Zaire, Congo. They represent people, they represent people who, who, who need decent housing and don't have decent housing. They, they represent single moms. They represent single dads. They, uh, all kinds of senior citizens. They, they represent all kinds of people. And those people have all these needs. And I have a chance to help them. You say, well, I don't know the organization. Okay, well, find an organization you do know. You say, well, I don't, want, I don't want to trust anybody else with my money. Well, that's exactly what God is asking us to do, is to let go of it and let somebody else manage it to take care of people. Do the best I can to research it and make sure what's going on. But boy, give it away and separate it from me. People, all kinds of people with all kinds of need, and the need is staggering. Ministries all over the world are cutting staff and programs because they just can't put them together with the money that's needed. It's simply. Kids will have to wait for that, that breakfast, and there'll be uh, people will have to wait for the good news of Jesus Christ, and, and people will have to wait to have decent housing, and that's just the way it is. And it's sadly that way because a lot of us haven't caught on to this idea of a simple tithe. Back some years ago, there was a, a, uh, a survey done with 43 denominations 
They were surveyed, and the people in those churches donated more than $71 billion in one year. That's an amazing amount of money. But the rest of it went on to say, and this is an estimate, obviously, an additional $133 billion would have been contributed if all the church members had tithed. How do they know $133 billion? I don't know. Maybe it was $132. Maybe it was $92. I, I don't care what it was. But I'll tell you what, if we'll catch on to this idea, we'll be able to take care of a large number of those people. You say, well, your tithe doesn't make a big difference. Well, it may not solve the whole problem. I get you. I understand that. I agree with you. But boy, it's going to help some of those people. People need us. People need you. That's the second reason why I say you've got to come up to the standard of tithing and use it as a base. Let me give you a third reason. The Bible tells me to tithe. You say, wait a minute, that's Old Testament. Wait a minute, that's the law of Moses. I don't have to do that. I live in the New Testament time. I, I'm no longer ruled by the law of Moses, am I? No, you're not. No, you're not. But I think if you look at the scriptures, what you're going to find out is that this idea of 10% of your income is a standard that started long before the time of Moses and therefore continues on as the standard that God has given to us. Isn't it just in Old Testament times? No, no. It's not just in Old Testament times. It goes on beyond that. Let me show you why I say that. If you'll go back to uh, this idea of God's standard, you'll find it back, first of all, in the Bible, when it goes to Abram, or as he was later known, Abraham. You might remember Abraham. He was one of the one of the first to follow after the living God, although he was not the first. He was not the only one. There's somebody named besides him in the scripture that I'll show you. Abraham's nephew Lot was in trouble. He was in Sodom and Gomorrah. It was an evil place, and God sent Abraham to save his, son, his, uh, his nephew Lot. And so he went and saved his nephew Lot and his family, and he came back from that, and he was on his way back and the scriptures tell us in Genesis chapter 14 that he met a man named Melchizedek. Now look at this. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. It kind of reminds me of communion. I, I don't think that was in mind at the time, but it's kind of interesting. He's feeding him. Melchizedek was priest of God most high. There's somebody else besides Abraham who knows the living God. His name is Melchizedek. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram, by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, remember, what's tenth mean? Tenth means tithe. What's tithe mean? Tithe means tenth. It means 10%. So, so here we are, long before, long before Moses ever wrote anything in the law, we've got this example of Abram giving 10%. Go forward two generations. We have another picture. This time it's with Jacob, uh, two generations further. Long, again, long before the time of Moses. Moses hasn't appeared on the scene yet. It's not the law here. But Jacob says, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. So he's setting up a place to worship. And then look what he says. And all that you give me, I will give you a, what's the word? Tenth. Tenth. And where's that come from? Why not 12%? Why, why not 3%? Why not 15%? Why, why does he say, why doesn't he just say, I'm going to be generous with you, God? 
One of the Bible encyclopedias puts it this way. It says, tithing was an ancient and general practice among other religions and cultures besides the Semitic people who later we know became what we call the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. So all over the lands of this time, during this period of time, it was common process for people to give 10% to their God or to their gods. These were multiple religious groups and People like Abram and Jacob fit right into that same pattern. And that's what I'm saying. It is a pattern. It is a, a standard. So this is where it gets interesting because they came before Moses. So the idea that, well, wait a minute, that was what Moses commanded. And I'm no longer under Moses. What do you do with a standard if it doesn't change? If the standard comes before Moses and then Moses comes and then you come to the New Testament and, and Moses picked up the idea of a tithe, to be sure, but, but then there's nothing said in the New Testament about a change in that, well, then the standard which came before Moses continues on through. I don't know how you can come to any other conclusion. Not as a law, not like Moses, but still it predates it. In fact, what's interesting to me is that Paul and other New Testament writers, but especially Paul, goes to great pains to say, well, you don't, have to be, be, uh, you don't have to worry about the kind of clothing you wore. That's what Moses said, and that had its purpose. Uh, you don't have to worry that you're worshiping on Saturday. That's what Moses said, but that was for another purpose. You don't have to do that. You, you don't have to worry about the, the certain kinds of food that you can't eat in the, in the Mosaic law. That's, that was for another purpose. But he never says that about tithing. You could say, well, they were standards. Yeah, but they were canceled standards. So we get instructions about them in the New Testament. What's missing is any statement of instruction about tithing that cancels it out or takes it away or lessens it or increases it. It just isn't there. So I have to conclude that the Bible standard, which started before Moses, continues on through all the way into the times in which you and I live. That's why I say this is the Bible standard. It's just the beginning, just the beginning. In fact, if you go to the Law of Moses, you'll find that 10% was the bare minimum, and then were the offerings, and the offerings were defined. So, so, so it goes beyond that. And so, likewise, it seems to me, it's natural for it to go beyond that as well, as God gives me opportunity and the ability to give. Standards and boundaries don't disappear when we place our faith in Christ. We're saved by faith, absolutely, by grace. We can't buy it. We can't earn it. We can't maintain it. But boy, the standard doesn't change, and the boundary doesn't change. It continues on. That's why I say, yeah, it's time for us to step up to it. In fact, I'd say it's time for us to step up beyond that. When you come to the Newer Testament, the key words are generosity and sacrifice. But generosity and sacrifice can mean that I give a half a percent because that's a sacrifice for me. And that's generous for me. No, you need to start with a standard. And the reason why the standard is given is because generosity and sacrifice go beyond that. In fact, when you come to Paul's word to the church in Corinth in northern Greece, he says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That's the picture that God's looking for. A generous heart that shows itself in terms of what I do with my time and with my money. And that's the last reason. I'm convinced in my heart that tithing puts flesh on our love for Christ. Um, you know, as well as I do, that real love gets expressed. It just doesn't work any other way. In fact, you get a girl who, who has a boyfriend, and the boyfriend says, boy, I really love you, but he never calls her. He never gets her a Christmas gift. He never gets her a birthday gift. He never stops his, fun, his friends from making fun of her. Does he really love her? 
No. Not in the word love as I know the word and as I want the word to be explained. No. When he loves her, well, sure he buys her gifts and sure he sticks up for her and sure he holds her hand over the icy, icy sidewalks and, and sure he does those things because it gets expressed. That's all I'm saying about tithing. It's what's going on in my heart that gets expressed in real terms for Jesus Christ and for men and women around me who are in desperate need. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. That's the positive side of it. A couple chapters later, he says it in the negative. He says, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. You get a real dividing line there, don't you? Obedience is a part of this whole picture. Obedience. It's his teaching is to live for others. My, my world tells me live for me. Jesus says live for others. If I'm going to live for others, it has to have some concrete expression. It has to come out, and it comes out of my budget. It comes out of my money, as well as my time and my treasure. And I know time and treasure are important. I get that. I understand that. But boy, if I, I say, yeah, you can have my time, you, you can have my talents, but you're not getting my treasure. I've got to have that because I need that. No, no, that's half-hearted. That's not the full picture of what a disciple does. Jesus lived for others. Are there limits on what I can give? Sure, there are limits, obviously. That's why I say a standard is so helpful for me. I know where to start. And I sacrifice as I go further than that. But I've got a pretty good idea where to start because I've got a standard. And the standard, my friends, is tithing and has to be considered. Everything tells me I need to learn to tithe. Everything tells me, though it's hard, I need to sit down with my wife or my husband or, or somebody else or my financial advisor or I need to sit down just alone and, and I need to get that Excel spreadsheet out and I need to look at it and say, okay, this is what I've got. This is where I can cut and this is where I can cut. We've been doing that for 2015. I know what I'm talking about. I can cut this and I can cut that and we'll only do this if we get that and so that on this line here called tithe and offerings, I can be generous with the God who has been generous for me. Has he been generous? Oh, yeah. <laughs> has he given everything he could possibly give? Oh, yeah. Has God given his son for me? Oh, yeah. Has he given me the promise of eternity? At his cost? Oh, yeah. At my cost? No. At his cost? Yeah. Then why shouldn't I step up and say, okay, listen, here's a standard. Here's something I can do. And when I do it, what I'm saying to you is that I benefit. One of the beauties of what the Bible does for me is it gives me instructions, it gives me standards, it gives me boundaries, it gives me parameters within which to live that in and of themselves are good for me. You know what I mean? You know, sometimes we look at Christianity and we say, oh, God wants everything. Well, yeah, in a sense that's true. But, but, but when God wants everything, what he wants is, is fullness for me included in that everything. Yes, he wants glory, but he wants fullness for me. So when God gives a standard or God gives a boundary, it's not because he's being stingy and he says, I want everything you've got so that I can be happy. No, no, no. God gives standards and God gives boundaries so that he can be glorified as I am filled with his goodness and his joy. So when I talk about tithing, I'm talking about our benefit. I've hardly said anything about his glory, though that's included. What I'm talking about is how I benefit from putting first things first, from seeing my money used for other people, from walking in obedience to God, 
from drawing close to the Savior. And I would ask you, which one of those do you not want? Honest. Putting first things first, seeing my money used for other people, walking in obedience to God, drawing close to the Savior. Which one of those don't you want? I want them all. I want every stinking one, every single one, to the fullest capacity possible. That means joy. So here's what I'm asking you to do. If you're ready to decide now, that's fine. But more than likely, you need to go home and you need to talk to her or to him. Because <laughs> yeah? there's somebody else in your, in your life. You need to start the conversation by saying, I just feel like what he was saying this morning is what we need to do. Okay? We need to do this. Let's talk about how we can get there. If we're not there, okay, that's fine. If we're not there, how can we get there? This year, what can we do so that we move towards this 10%? And if you're at 10%, don't be proud. Say to the other person, what can we do to move to 11 or 12 or 13 or far beyond that? Because all you're doing is responding to what he's done for you. He's generous with you. You're generous with him. He, he expresses his love for you. <laughs> you express your love for him. And this is one of the ways that God says you can do that. Let me pray for you. And you have a cup of coffee, go home, start talking about how to do this. Okay? Let's pray. Father God, this may have been a tough subject for people who are listening to me today. I know that. I get that. I understand that. If it's not been a part of our, our lifestyle, our commitments, then it's awfully hard to think about it. And... Uh, may be a tough subject to approach when we go home with, with him or her. <laughs> that may be, Lord, but I pray that it might be approached. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit might sway us and move us, that we might say, yes, Jesus, you gave everything for us. Teach us how we can give everything for you. And this is one of those places we want to learn to do that, Lord, because we want you to be glorified, and we want to know the joy and the peace of walking with you. So, Lord Jesus Christ, do your work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit that you might be pleased, that you might bring us joy, that you might be glorified. For we pray in your matchless name. Amen. God bless you.